Well, it is great to be with you today. Today we are wrapping up our annual four campaign, which means that today is the Sunday serve day. Hopefully all of you had a chance to serve during our 9.15 time uh, in the gym, and hopefully you were able to be a part of packing a whole bunch of care items that are going to be used by all these ministries. These are going to be handed out by these ministries um, during the course of this winter throughout our community, as well as you help to write some notes of encouragement and some notes just uh, saying thank you um, to our first responders in our community as well as the men and women from our church who are on active duty in our military right now. So thank you so much. If you got to participate in this, thank you for getting here early today and being a part of this. It also means um, that today is the last opportunity that you have not only to give your 1995, if you haven't done that, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but today is your last chance to sign up to sponsor a couple of kids with gifts for all God's children. Now please, 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 please make sure that you sign up to do this. Uh, we will have staff from Gifts for All God's Children. They will be in the lobby afterwards. If you need help getting signed up, sponsoring a kid, sponsoring two or three kids, please stay in the lobby. We will have people there to help you to learn how to do this. This is an incredible, incredible ministry that has been bringing joy on Christmas morning to kids all throughout our community and now all throughout our state. And so we want to help come alongside them and bless and support and encourage this ministry. Now, the very first weekend of our campaign, I told you how ridiculously generous all of you are because you gave just on that first week over $22,000, which is absolutely amazing. Again, all of that's going to be given away. And then last weekend, you went and you gave another $12,000 on top of that, which is absolutely amazing. And so um, I want to encourage you, if you have not had the chance to give your 1995, please do that because every year in our campaign, the goal is not to raise a certain amount of money. The goal is actually a participation goal. Right? We want 100% of you to participate, and then we're going to give away 100% of whatever you give to some amazing charities. This year, two of them are in our local community. They are the Good News Gang, and they are Angel's Place. And then the third one is an international ministry partner we've had for about two and a half years, My Special Treasure, who is working to alleviate poverty and suffering for women and children living in some extremely, extremely desperate situations in our world. And so again, um, if you haven't given your 1995 yet, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're in college, um, please do not miss this opportunity to, to do this. So far, about 60% of you, right, about 60% of you have participated. But I want all of you to participate today. So you can see one of our host team members in the lobby afterwards. You can give online if you're watching with us. You can give through the app, um, any of those ways. We want everybody to participate because I want all of you to be able to say that you were a part of making this incredible demonstration of love and compassion in the name of Jesus happen in our community. So if you haven't had the chance to do that, please make sure that you do that this weekend. If this is your first time with us, or even if it's just your first couple of times with us, I want to encourage you to play along as well, because everybody knows that in the United States of America, everyone thinks something when they hear the word church. And unfortunately, many times what people think isn't positive. And so we think the best way to change that isn't to go arguing with people, it's not to go scaring people, it's not trying to judge people. We think the best way to change this perception is to actually just take a cue from our Heavenly Father, take a cue from our Savior, and just demonstrate, right? Not just talk about, but actually demonstrate 
demonstrate no strings attached, compassion, generosity, and kindness, because that is exactly what our Heavenly Father, that is exactly what our Savior did for us. And do as the Apostle Paul told us last week, to, to make sure that we're concerned, not simply with our own interests and our own needs, but that we also actually look to the needs and the concerns of the people in our community. Now today, as we wrap up our campaign, I want to take a moment today and I want to talk about um, what is perhaps um, the, the most important thing um, that we actually do as followers of Jesus, that we do as a part of Jesus' church. Um, and, and that's because it's also um, probably the hardest thing um, that we actually do as followers of Jesus. Um, and, and to do that, um, I, I need to tell you a little bit about my story. Now, even though um, I have been attending here at Faith and I've been a part of our church for um, almost 40 years now, and even though I've been on staff for almost 32 years, um, Faith is not my, my growing up church because when I was going to elementary school, uh, my family, meaning my mom, uh, my younger sister and myself, we, uh, my dad didn't go to church at this point. We all attended a, a very, very small church just a few miles south of here uh, in Madison Heights. And, um, and, and my mom was one of the moms who taught Sunday school in this church, which meant that my sister and I, we kind of had to go every week because my mom was our teacher and my sister and I were like half of her class, right? So, um, so we didn't really get a, a pass. Um, and, and so faith, when we started coming to faith, faith was a really big change for me when we started coming here because faith is big um, and, and my old church was not big. Um, and I've told you some of this before, um, kind of being up here and talking in front of people every week is really not how I'm wired up naturally. Um, but it's really not how I was wired up as a middle school kid. And so when I started coming to church here um, in middle school, um, I had a mission every week and that mission was to hide. Right? So it was like, what hallway, what closet, who left a door open, right? Where can I go and hide? That was my whole purpose in coming to church on Sunday morning was just where can I hide? And so um, the truth is, as I was growing up all through my teen years, up until I was about 19 or 20, um, really I kind of grew up pretty isolated spiritually. Um, and, and so I kind of ended up developing some ideas about God and some uh, assumptions about God. Um, and, and part of part of those assumptions, what I thought, is, is that God had some, some rules that he wanted me to keep. Um, and if I kept those rules, then I, I thought that me and God would be good. Now, um, th this didn't mean, this didn't have anything to do with heaven, right? You should know that because I knew that, you know, the only reason I would go to heaven someday was because of Jesus. This was more just about like my, uh, my personal relationship, my personal connection with God. Like, you know, you're in your bed at night, you're staring at your ceiling and just kind of knowing um, that God's okay with you, that he's not angry at you, that he's not going to try to, you know, spite you somehow. Um, and, and so if this sounds at all um, like your story, actually, um, then that's actually because um, th there's a Catholic version of this. Uh, there, there's actually a Baptist version of this. There's a, a Muslim version of this. There's a, a Hindu version of this. Uh, because at its core, really, all religion, right? At its core, all religion is actually about making sure um, that you and, and God are, are good, right? That, that's really what's at the center of all religion. And so I really thought that what I needed to do is to figure out what it is that God wanted me to do in order to make him happy, which meant not making him angry, which always comes down to doing certain things, um, but then also not doing certain things. Uh, and so consequently, I, I grew up 
um, always asking myself, you know, kind of like in the back of my mind, a, a whole bunch of questions, and maybe you've asked these questions before, but I ask questions like this, is, is this a sin? Is there anything wrong with? I mean, um, is it okay if I, is God going to be upset if I? Right, so I, I was in this constant, this constant um, experience for, for me of trying to figure out, okay, where are the lines, where are the boundaries, you know, how, how far can I go without going too far, um, which very quickly uh, led me, all these questions and a bunch of other questions, led me to always trying to find like, like loopholes and exceptions to the rules because it was like, okay, well, you know, God, what if this happens, right? What if he says, what, God, what if she says, Right? And so essentially what I ended up doing with God and what you ended up doing with God, if you've ever thought this way or if you kind of related to God this way, um, is basically what I ended up doing is saying to God, okay, God, how close can I actually get to sin without really sinning? Right? God, how close can I get to making you angry at me without actually making you angry at me? Now, th this might seem silly for some of you, I, I understand that, but this is really how I found myself thinking and, and behaving and really how I found myself kind of relating to and, and thinking about God. And again, I'm not talking about heaven and hell, I'm just talking about me and God actually being okay with one another. Now, here's the, the problem with this whole idea. And see, for some of you, as you're, you're thinking about this, um, you're thinking, okay, well, that's kind of interesting because, Joe, that actually is or it was um, my experience also, right? Some of you may have had that same experience. Others of you right now are, are thinking to yourself, okay, well, well hang on, because I, I thought, like, what other option is there? I thought that's how it worked. Like, I thought that what's, that's what this whole... I thought that's how this whole thing, this whole church thing, this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, I thought like that, I thought that, that was the deal, right? And see, here's the problem with this way of thinking um, and the whole, this whole dynamic. And the best way to illustrate this is to ask you a question. So other than your pets, who else actually obeys you in your life? Right? So now for us, for our family, um, we have two cats and we have a dog. Um, the cats obey no one. Right? The dog at least pretends to obey us. It's actually our son's dog. And then once we leave the room, she just like destroys our couches. So like this past week, I hauled the three couches out into the curb because she just destroyed the couches. So think about the people in your life. Right? Think about your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, maybe a sister or a brother. Um, what, what, what would you say uh, makes your husband a great husband? Or what would you say makes your girlfriend a great girlfriend? Would you say, well, um, because she always obeys me, right? He always obeys me, right? If you're married, my wife always obeys me, right? Never, right? Right? Never, right? We, we, you would, you now you might think that, right? You might think, but you would never say that, right? You, you would never say that. You would never even think to say something like that, right? Now, why? Because all of us kind of intuitively know that you don't build a relationship around obedience, right? Actually, not, not even with kids, right? In fact, especially with kids. Now, that doesn't mean that rules don't have a place in relationship. They certainly do. But, but here's what all of us just kind of know. You never reduce a healthy relationship down to, to simply rules, to obedience, right? You don't, that's, that doesn't, that's not how you define a healthy relationship. We never do that. 
In fact, I would be willing to bet that some of your best relationships, some of the relationships that you enjoy the most, that, that are the most enjoyable to you, that you get the most out of, I would be willing to bet that in those relationships, the idea of obedience probably never even enters your mind, does it? And yet for some reason, whenever it comes to God, it feels like and it seems like our, our, our default um, response to him is to always reduce our relationship with him down to nothing more than obedience, right? So why is that? But where did that actually come from? Now, what's interesting is that the truth of much of that thinking actually comes from God's arrangement um, with the ancient nation of Israel, right? God had an arrangement, we call it the Old Covenant, the arrangement with Israel. Uh, but that arrangement, that Old Covenant between God and Israel was actually a, a legal understanding, and it was between God and a nation, Right? It wasn't between God and individuals, um, it was between God and a nation. And so for many of us who grow up in church, what ends up happening, and, and we don't necessarily realize this, um, is we kind of end up transposing that way of thinking and relating to God and thinking about God, we kind of transpose that onto our personal relationship with Jesus. But, um, but see, it's actually the, the Apostle John. Right, the Apostle John, who, who was there in that upper room, when Jesus said that starting today, starting today, there's going to be a brand new way to relate to your Heavenly Father. And it wasn't going to be a relationship that would exist between God and a nation of people. It would be a relationship that would exist between God and every single individual in humanity on a personal, individual basis. It was John who actually told us. That the day that Jeremiah the prophet had spoken about 600 years before Jesus, the day that a new covenant would be made with all of humanity, John was actually there that day when Jesus said a new covenant is about to begin and from now on the defining mark of the covenant which used to be this meal at Passover that you would participate in to remember what took place in Egypt 1500 years ago. Jesus said from now on what you're going to celebrate whenever you take this meal is not what happened 1500 years in Egypt. It's what's going to happen just a couple of hours now from now in Jerusalem. A new covenant that would not be defined by a seemingly endless list of do's or don'ts. A covenant that wouldn't be defined by what God wanted from us. But instead a covenant that would actually be defined by what God would give to us. Through Jesus. But not only us. What God would actually offer and give to the entire world. It's the Apostle John who tells us about this, uh, this new covenant and this new experience of relating to God in 1 John chapter 2. And he says this, he says, my dear children, right, my dear children. Now, the, the reason John addresses us as children is because by the time John is writing this, he's an old man, right? So it's kind of like talking to your grandpa. Everybody who's younger than him is just his kid, right? It's just his son or his daughter. And so he just says to all of us, he says, my dear children, right, I write this to you. So that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, here's the good news, we have an advocate. Right? You actually have someone to come along beside you and help you. You have someone, John says, to help restore that relationship that's been broken with the Father. Who is this advocate, John tells us? Well, he is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
Right? In other words, what John is saying is, is listen, uh, after spending three and a half years with Jesus, it, it is now clear to me that Jesus came into this world um, to be the advocate with every single person on this planet, making a relationship between them and God, which is absolutely amazing. Right? But John is just getting started. He goes on and he tells us this. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Right? We talked about this two weeks ago. But not only ours, John says, but also for the sin of the whole world. And so John says, okay, everybody, because of Jesus, everybody now approaches God on the exact same level. Everybody now comes to God on the exact same terms. What are those terms? That Jesus has offered forgiveness to everybody, right? To, to you, to me, to us, to everybody. Jesus has offered forgiveness to everybody through his sacrifice. John says, listen, we know, right? We know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commands, right? So John says, okay, through Jesus... Your sins are forgiven, absolutely. But the way that you know that things are actually good between you and your Heavenly Father, the way that you know that you actually have a connection to your Heavenly Father, John is saying, and, and, and what he says to us here is hugely significant. right? Because he's telling us, you have forgiveness, it's already yours. It's not going to be taken away from you. You have forgiveness. It's yours, he says, but we are still, right? we're still to keep Jesus' commands. He goes on and he says this, whoever, right, whoever says, well, I know him. In other words, I have a relationship with him. Me and God are good. Whoever says I know him, but does not do what Jesus commands is a liar. In other words, John says, you're just lying to yourself, right? And you're lying to everybody else, John would say, right? And, and immediately this should kind of get our attention because th these are harsh words, but he's not done yet. He continues. He does not do what he commands as a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, this is actually a hugely significant statement because it's the Apostle John who in his gospel actually tells us that Jesus is the truth. That Jesus is the way and Jesus is the life. And so when he says the truth is not in that person, he's saying, no, Jesus is not in that person. Right? Which is a big deal. But, right, he says, but anyone who obeys, right, anyone who obeys Jesus' word, right, talking about Jesus, love for God is truly made complete in that person. And so what John is saying is this. He's saying, listen, okay, if you've ever wondered whether or not your relationship with God is authentic or not, Right, because it's so easy to say, okay, well, God's up there and God's invisible, right? And, and big God is out there someplace. And so how do we really know? And are we really sure? And, and is, he, is he really, does he really love me? Does he really care about me? If you ever find yourself thinking and asking those questions, right, then John says, listen, remember, God has made this very specific. He, he's made this actually very, he doesn't want you to have to guess anymore. You don't need to guess anymore, John is saying. And so he tells us, he says, this is how we know. So you don't have to guess. This is how we know. This is how we know that we are in Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Right, so John is saying, okay, listen, having a connection to God, having a relationship with God is actually much simpler than, than he thinks. He says, because all of us, right, all of us, we actually now have an example 
right? We have an illustration. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can actually see what it is that Jesus did. We can watch Jesus and we can see how he interacted with people. And then John backs up in verse 7 and he says, dear friends, right? He starts off with dear children. Now, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, right? John wants to make sure that we understand this isn't something brand new. Right? Because the, the, this is 40 years after the resurrection. The Gospels have all been written at this point. The Apostle Paul is traveling the world at this point. Right? So John wants us to know this is, this is not something new. Right? So he says, I'm not writing you something new, but rather, right, but rather I'm writing you an old command that you've actually had since the beginning. Not the beginning of time. Right? Not the beginning of the Old Testament but the beginning of the teaching of Jesus, the beginning of the writing of the gospel, the beginning of the church. This old command, John says, this old command is the message that you've already heard, yet I'm writing you a new command, which is just a really confusing way of John saying, listen, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you something new, I'm just going to say something you know in a new way. That's all John is saying right here. It's truth... Right, The truth of this old command, John says, its truth can actually be seen in Jesus. Right? This command that John's going to remind all of us of. If you're wondering what it looks like, John is saying, okay, just, just watch Jesus. Because it can easily be seen in Jesus and it can also be seen in you. And you. And me. Right, so John's saying, listen, um, th th this isn't just a believe thing. Right? This new command is actually a do thing because it's obvious. You can see it. You can tell. It's so transparent. It's so easy to understand. You you're going to know when you're doing it and you're going to know w when you're not doing it. Right? In other words, he says, okay, remember the old co covenant where you just kind of had to guess and, and you didn't know, was this a sin or was that a sin? Is God going to be angry if? Am, am I doing what God wants me to do or not? And, and John's saying, you don't have to guess anymore because... Because, listen, he says, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now, I, I love the picture that John is creating here because, remember, John has seen it all. Right? He, he's an old man at this point. He's seen the crucifixion. He's seen the resurrection. John has seen every one of his closest friends hunted down and executed. John himself is an outlaw. He's been exiled on the island of, of Patmos at this point. And John is saying... Okay, this thing that Jesus came to, to bring into the world, um, th this thing that is just not natural to this world, um, it's starting to take hold. It's actually starting to, to move. And once it begins to shine, he says, there is no extinguishing it. There is no turning it back. Because once it shines, it dispels the darkness around it. And, and this new command, this new idea, th this single unifying ethic right, that, that will impact every single person and that every single person can participate in, this new command... Um, that, that you know when you see and, and you know when you don't see, John saying it is beginning to emerge. Right? It's beginning to take hold and it's beginning to influence and it will influence the entire world. And then he steps back from this big picture idea and he gets very, very practical and he tells us anyone, right, anyone, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still living in darkness. And see, this is where we all give ourselves an out. Right? Because the truth is, every single one of us are very, very, very good at finding exceptions to the rules and finding loopholes. 
Because if I, were to raise, if I were to say to you this morning, okay, raise your hand if you hate somebody, right? There is not a single one of you that would raise your hand because in our culture, right, hate is not a virtue. We are told we're not supposed to hate anybody, right? Now, there are some cultures in which hate is a virtue, but not our culture. But, but if I were to say to you, okay, um, let's kind of, you know, dig down into what this word means a little bit. And if I were to say to you, okay, I want you to raise your hand. Um, if, if there's just a group of people that you think are just so rude, right, they, they're just so opinionated, you, you just think they're so obnoxious, raise your hand if there's a group of people that you just can't stand to be around. I want you to raise your hand if there's a group of people that, you know, you don't hate them, but if you could push a magic button, they'd all be wiped off the planet. I mean, you do it in a heartbeat, right? But I, I don't hate them because hate's such a strong word, right? But, but if I could get rid of all of them by pushing a button, absolutely I would do it. If I said raise your hand, if you feel that way about a certain group of people, People, right? John is saying, remember, all this is so clear now. Right? There's no exceptions. There's no loopholes. There's nowhere to, to hide with this. Because anyone, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light and yet dismisses or, or devalues or pushes aside or mistreats or marginalizes somebody else, he says, is still living in darkness. No matter how often you pray, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter how many Bible studies you've led or sermons you've preached, right, John says, come on, right, come on, you, you might go to heaven when you die, but if you hate a brother or a sister, you're still living in darkness. He continues. As if he needs to. Anyone, he says, anyone who loves their brother and their sister lives in the light. And there is nothing, there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Right? See, th this is so big. I mean, think about it. John's basically saying, listen, you get the love thing right, you're good to go. You're good to go. You love your brother, you love your sister, you, you love those who are difficult to love, John says. You, you get to love the people who are not your people part, right? And John says, listen, you're good to go, right? This is the new command. This is the old command in a new way because this is exactly what Jesus says to us in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you, if you love the people who don't love you back, if you do for the people who will not do for you, if you do for your enemies what you do for your friends, if you actually pray for your enemies the way that you pray for your friends, if you greet the people who are not your people, then Jesus says that's perfect. Right, that's perfect because that is exactly what your heavenly father does. See, John is saying, listen, I'm not saying this is easy, but it's not complicated. You love your brother. You love your sister. You love those who are difficult to love. And you do for others who would not ever even dare doing for you. Just remember, anyone, anyone who hates a brother or a sister is in the darkness. And they walk around in darkness. Right, John is saying, listen, mistreating people, right, even when they deserve it, even when they kind of expect it. John's saying, mistreating people, that actually creates conflict between you and God. Why? John's already told us, right? Because 
Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, right? Not simply for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The person I dismiss, the, the, the group of people I just don't like, the, the person or the group of people that I don't want to have anything to do with, John tells us, right? Your Savior who died for me, died for them. That everybody is somebody that Jesus died for. And see, the truth is we get this. Right? We actually get this. Now, um, we, we might struggle with this on some big macro cosmic level. Right? But the truth is every single one of us, we get this on the individual relational level don't we? Because if I were to go up to, to your favorite niece or your favorite nephew and I were to mistreat them, or if I were to mistreat your brother or your sister, heaven forbid, if I were to mistreat your son or your daughter, right, and then I asked to go out to lunch with you or have coffee with you and I didn't talk about that, things would not be good between me and you, would they? Right? Why? You know. It's because when I mistreat someone that you love, it's like I'm mistreating who? You. And if you mistreat my sons, you mistreat my wife, and you think that things are good between you and me, things are not good between you and me. See, this is at the center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is at the center of what the Gospels are, are filled with. This is at the center of, of, of what it means to be a part of the church. This is why, as a church, our vision is to bring Jesus into every relationship because Jesus came to be the advocate for everybody. The person I like the least, the, the person that I dismiss, John says, their advocate to the Father is your advocate to the Father. And so the question that's so easy for us to ask, is this a sin? Right? The truth is, this is not the most important question we ask ourselves. The more important question we ask ourselves is this question right here. What does love require of me? To which we want to say, well, then how will we know what sin is? John would say, that's easy. You just look around and you decide what would Jesus say is best for that person. And if you do anything other than that, then that's a sin. Why? Because your heavenly Father who loves you, loves them. And if you hurt them then you and him have a problem, right? See, all of a sudden, sin is no longer a mystery, is it? And see, the challenge for, for all of us is this, right? The, the, the love question, this is a much simpler question, but this is far, far, far more demanding, right? Th this is a simple question because there are no lists to memorize. Th there's nothing to keep track of, right? But this question is far more demanding because when you actually love another person, Right, when you decide, I'm going to do what's best for this person, even if it costs me. I'm going to do what's best for her, even if I end up losing the relationship with her. Right? When you decide that you're going to do what's best, even though you may have to sacrifice for the other person. When you decide others first, right, there are no shortcuts, there are no technicalities, and there are no workarounds. And see, John reminds us, listen, if we ever get confused by this, we have an example, right? So he says, just watch Jesus. 
Just look at, at Jesus because when you read the New Testament, what you discover is that all of the New Testament commands, right, all the do this and don't do that and all that stuff, you know, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, all that stuff, all of it is just application to the answer of the question, what does love require of me? You want to know how to love your wife? Put her first. That's what love requires of you. You want to know how to show respect uh, and honor to the group of people or the person that you, res- you struggle to respect or honor? Right? You just ask the question, what does love require of me? Right? And suddenly, suddenly these big complicated questions, they get painfully, painfully clear. And see, that's John's point right, in writing this to us. He reminds us, listen, we've seen it. Right? As followers of Jesus, we've experienced this because this has actually been done for us. And he tells us, listen, as followers of Jesus, this question is always going to cause us tension. The more our culture begins to look like the culture of the first century, the more tension that we're going to face, just, just as John faced. Right? He's writing this letter. That's why he wrote this letter as a reminder in the first place. Because the tension that we're always going to face is that it's so easy, right? It's so easy for any of us or for all of us to focus on one or the other of these questions to the exclusion of the other, right? But this is why John also tells us that remember, Jesus, right, he came in both grace and truth. That Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. That if you want to know what it is that Jesus meant by what it is that Jesus said, John would say, Just watch what Jesus did. You want to know what Jesus meant when when Jesus said love one another, then just watch how Jesus loved. Because you know how Jesus loved? He called sin, sin, and then he paid for it. Right? And there's tension there, isn't there? There's a tension that if we ever try to resolve, we're going to end up losing something. We're going to lose something very important. You know why we can't ever let go of truth? Even when it's not popular, right? Even when it's complicated. The reason we have to keep saying that something is true is because sin has a hook. Sin always has a hook. And your heavenly father does not want sin to get his hooks into you. And see, that's why as a follower of Jesus, we can't ever be afraid of saying what's true. Here's what's true. Here's what scripture says is true. Here's how scripture says to live your life. Here's what scripture has to say about your sexuality, your morality, and your ethics. Here's what scripture has to say about how you use your money and how you conduct your relationships. Because sin always has a hook. And I don't want sin to get its hooks into you. And you know why we can't let go of grace? Because to some extent or another, sin has already hooked all of us. And the truth is, grace is our only way back. Grace is our only way home. Grace is the only way that any of us will ever know that we're actually connected or reconnected to our Heavenly Father. Grace is the only way we'll know that we actually belong to Him. And so the truth is, we need truth, and we need grace. And so because of that, we need Jesus, who is the embodiment of both grace and truth. And listen, if the church is Jesus' body, 
right? If, if you and me, if we are actually the hands and the feet of Jesus, if we are Jesus' body, right, th then that also means that we are the best expression of Jesus that anyone will ever know. And that is an incredibly humbling thought, isn't it? But see, John would say, listen, I've seen it. We've seen it in action. And see, and I would say, listen, I've seen it because I've seen it in you. And the kids at the Good News Gang and Angel's Place, the kids at My Special Treasure, the, the, the women at Ellie's House, and the families at House of Hope, the, the families up at Gwynn Community Church and, and 906 Community Church, they're going to see it because of you. Because it was love that changed the world. John tells us that. And it's love that changed your world. And see, this love, John says, this love, that kind of love, that is the only way that the world will ever know that you, me, us, that we are Jesus' disciples. Let me pray for you today. Father, you know how much easier um, this is to talk about than to walk out of here and actually go do, uh, especially with people that we know, people that we have relationship with. Father, you know the tension that each one of us feel individually around this whole idea. And so, Father, my prayer in this moment is especially for uh, for those people who struggle in a personal relationship because this is the tension that they're feeling right now in that relationship. They're trying to show grace and they're trying to show truth. They're trying to show love, Jesus, the kind of love that you have shown to us. And so, Father, as Jesus' church, I pray that you would always help us to see what Jesus' love looks like, that we would never lose sight of that, that we would each love others the way that Jesus has loved us, that we would never be afraid to ask the question of ourselves and to say, okay, so what would truth have me say right now? But what would love have me do? Jesus, what would your truth have me say in this situation right now? But Jesus, what would your love have me do? And so Holy Spirit, my prayer for us as a church filled with people who want to follow Jesus the best that we can, I, I pray that in these next few moments as we prepare our hearts to receive the body and the blood, of Jesus, the reminder of the new covenant that we have through Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask in these next few moments that you would that you would speak to us and that you would tell each of us individually what it is you want us to do with what we just heard, with what the Apostle John has to say. And Father, we ask because you've offered and you've told us to. We ask that you would hear as each of us personally and silently confess our sin 
good news of the gospel, it's not simply that Jesus called sin, sin. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid for your sin. And so Jesus, we ask that as your followers in this place, with our families, with our friends, with our relationships with each other, that Jesus, that we would emulate and we would show and we would display, that we would put on display, Jesus, the grace and the truth that you've brought into our lives. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you have forgiven us of our sin. And so Jesus, as we prepare to leave this place today, it's your promise and your word that goes with us to remind us that not only are our sins forgiven, but you have called us into this world to share the good news that you are an advocate for everybody because you have offered to forgive their sin as well. So give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard. And Jesus, help us to never, ever, ever forget the amazing gift of grace that we have received.